I ask for your enabling grace as we look at your word tonight. May we see beyond the word and see you because you are the living word. So bless your word into our hearts and glorify your name, Lord Jesus, I pray. Amen. Jude. In the closing verse of the book of Jude, it gives several ideas. One of them, he simply says, I want you to remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. Hebrews 2. First one says, we better pay the more earnest heed to the things which we've heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. Everybody pull out your iPhones. Um, we, 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 it, it's okay, ma'am, it's okay. In this modern te age of technology, and so anybody open up, turn to six 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 four two six six, and uh, you'll get the message for tonight. And so with that, we'll have a word of prayer. <laughs> so pick it up and go home. Good night. <laughs> I was asked this week, why did you go to the book of Jude? And uh, the person went on to simply ask the question, well, the, the book of Jude is a neglected book, and so is it important? They went even further, is it relevant for today? So I don't know. That's why I talked about it. The book of Jude it really is relevant, more relevant than we are prepared to acknowledge for a variety of reasons. The book of Jude is relevant for today because the warning of scripture to be wary of false teachers and false teaching. In fact, the Lord Jesus in Matthew 24, verse 4 said, Watch out that no one deceives you. The words of the Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy 4, verse 1 says, The Spirit clearly said that in the latter time, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Jude simply says, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said in the last day there'll be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. 
and so false teachers and false teachings. I submit to you that much of the United States of America is in a state of either delusion or denial. America is either in the state of denial or delusion. Now, one of the reasons for me saying this is society is doing what Jesus warned us that they would do. They are offering us another savior. For some, Jesus is just a supposed historical factor or historical figure. For others, he's a kind of a moralistic teacher. For the Marxists and the Palestinians, he was a revolutionary. According to Islam, he's a prophet like Elijah, whose mission is to herald the supremacy of Muhammad. According to Mormonism, he had a physical birth, but in reality, he is the spirit brother of Lucifer. According to Jehovah Witness, his name originally was Michael, or as I would say, I was quoting Vic Michael, who is the prince of angels. Society is offering another savior. Society is offering another system. Salvation has now become a political, economic matter and has nothing to do with spirituality whatsoever. And so society declares all religions are equal. All have both positive and negative aspects. All will arrive, whatever religion you belong to, you'll all arrive at the same goal. The only bad religion is the one that's intolerant to multipluralism. But society offers a, another spirit. As Paul had documented these three areas, the other spirit that society is offering is the spirit of Antichrist. It must never, ever be forgotten that many of the major discrepancies and deceptions which the church is fighting today originated in the church. Anti-Semitism was cradled in the church following the disaster of Bar Kokhba. Replacement theology or dominionism is the fruit of centuries of an anti-Jewish 
bias. And it's a figment of an egotistical illusion. Liberation theology, the convoluted proposition of bondage by revelation was birthed in the Catholic Church in Central America. The current reemergence of ultimate reconciliation is the, re is the result of a sloppy love teaching which became prevalent in the closing days of the charismatic renewal. In fact, the charismatic renewal, as wonderful, as magnificent, as spectacular, as special as it was, it had a weakness. It was so taken up with the idea of faith and prosperity, it failed to produce a theology which dealt with the principle of deterioration or entropy. If you listen to the charismatic teachers, no one would ever get sick. Everyone would all, every person would be wealthy. There'd be no problems. And we'd never grow old. Oh, that's true. Look at Vic. <laughs> but not being able, not being willing to face the reality of entropy in the issue of life that by one man's sin entered the world and by sin came death, that all are under that bondage of this idea of death, we all grow older. And everyone anticipates, even as creation anticipates, the day of resurrection when death will be destroyed and there'll be no more entropic system. Everything will remain pure and perfect and wonderful forever. This is why Jude is relevant, because it deals with issues which the church is facing with today. It deals with issues that young people are having to deal with today. And so let me go on and look at some ideas. I hope I don't bore you tonight, okay? Jude wants to remind the church that it is involved in a struggle. Whether we like it or no, whether we want to be engaged or no, the church is involved in a struggle. And because we are involved in a struggle, we need to choose our weapons wisely. The Apostle Paul exhorts us that our weapons are not carnal, but they are mighty to the bringing down of the strongholds of the enemy. Our weapons are spiritual in nature, not carnal. But the tendency of the church, 
whenever it gets the opportunity, is to revert from the spiritual to the secular. To engage in a carnal expression rather than a spiritual dynamic for the glory of the Lord Jesus. Jude, therefore, identifies a number of weapons that the church is to use in its engagement of spiritual warfare. We are fighting a war in which we know the outcome of the battle, we win. Our struggle is to make sure that we win. The church will win. It has no alternative than to win. The battle has already been fought. The victory has already been won. The struggle for the individual is that the individual wins. His personal struggle, his personal battle, in which he has to overcome the things of the enemy. And the awful thing is this. Your struggle is not my struggle. And my struggle is not your struggle. Otherwise, someone would write a book. I simply say, this is the way. Ten ways to overcome your, your struggle. The trouble is, it doesn't work that way. But we have a book. It has 66 books in it. And the book of all books, the living book, the Bible, gives input to each one of us how each one of us can fight his own battle and can rise victorious for the glory of God and for the well-being of the individual. That means to say, as I look at you being a victor, I simply say, Lord, if they can do it, I can do it. Because the grace that's upon them is the grace that's upon me. If they can do it, I can do it. Because the spirit that's within them is the same spirit that's within me. Therefore, I have no alternative. I can be a victor. Bartlett. I'm oh, sorry, Chief Victor Bartlett. I can have the victory in my life. Not because my battle is less than yours. My battle is as big to me as your battle is to you. So don't brag to me that you've got a bigger battle than I've got. And I don't have the right to say, oh, you've, not, you've not seen anything yet. You wait to get the battle that I'm facing. We're all facing a battle. And Jude is giving us an identifying weapons that we can use to make sure that we overcome in the name of the Lord Jesus. And so the first one is what I've called our pursuit. The idea is protect your head. Protect your mind. Jude says it this way, 
Dear friends, build yourself up. I don't like that. I want Pastor Smith to build me up. I want Pastor Victor to build me up. I don't want to build myself up. That sounds like work to me. I don't want to be a laborer. I want to be a foreman to tell everybody else, you do this, you go there, you take care of this, and hallelujah, the building will go up, and I'll get the credit for it. Big deal. Build yourself up in the most holy faith. There are seven kinds of faiths that's referred to in human experience. Let me just mention three. There's saving faith. And every individual in this room tonight has received this gift of saving faith. By grace are ye saved, through faith, and that not of yourself. It is the gift of God. With Jesus Christ our Lord. Saving faith. Remind yourself of the fact I am redeemed by love divine. I am a child of God, not because of anything I did, but because of what He has done. But then Jude speaks of holy faith. And when Jude speaks of holy faith. He is speaking of the teachings which has come down to the church, not from tradition, but from the word of God. Tradition is like barnacles on a ship. They grow automatically. And every so often, a ship has to go into dry dock to take the barnacles off the hull. We are to build ourselves up on what the Word says. Don't build yourself up on what anybody else says. Check, like the church at Berea, they checked the Word to see if what Paul was saying was true. Build yourself up in the most holy faith. That faith will stand the test of time because the Bible has stood the test of time. Am I boring you yet? Okay, let me go on. But then there's supernatural faith. Supernatural faith is a gift, just like saving faith is a gift. Except saving faith is a gift from the Father. Supernatural faith is a gift from the Holy Spirit. It is one of the nine gifts when by the grace of God he deposits, deposits something within you in which you have the ability to believe for no reason whatsoever. You just believe. You've gotten this gift. And because you have this gift, something wonderful happens. 
Now, is this not fantasy? This is not a figment of the imagination? It's not mouthing it? For the sake of mouthing it, it's a gift that comes from the Holy Spirit. Just like you get a word of prophecy, or you get a message in tongues, or you get a word of wisdom, or a word of knowledge, so there is the impartation of an expression of faith for a particular issue at a particular time. It happens, and boom, the Lord is glorified. And so God, your mind. But then, we talk about not only our pursuit, but look at our prayer. Protect your spirit. Jude says, pray in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are 10 levels of prayer documented in the New Testament. All are very, very clearly delineated. You know, the Apostle Paul speaks so eloquently of a supplication, intercession, and prayers that we had to use those three kinds of prayers when praying for, for kings and rulers, authorities, etc. There are ten. I'm just going to deal with one. It's what I call creative prayer. What do I say? Creative prayer. Creative prayer is praying in the spirit. We do not know how we ought to pray. Romans 8 tells us, but the spirit himself maketh intercession through us with expressions and groanings which cannot be uttered. Creative prayer gives us direct access to the throne. One of the men who works with uh, my son Stephen, I should say our son Stephen, he spends a couple of hours every day just praying in the spirit. He's basically a retired individual. And the word of the Lord simply said that when we pray in the spirit, our mind is not lightened, but our spirit begins to bubble over. And it's in the spiritual arena of our lives that the enemy is allowed and does all engage in all kinds of mischievous things. Some years ago, I happened to be in Washington, D.C. I was a, I'd been invited to be a member of a committee which was dealing with one of the leading ministers in our, in our nation who had gone into sin. And so there were Catholic theologians, there were Lutheran theologians, there were Baptist theologians, there were charismatic theologians, 
there were Pentecostal theologians, and I was there. <laughs> I have been sitting next to Bob Mumford, who at that time was a dear friend of mine, and we were quite close. On the other side of me was Charles Simpson, also a dear friend of mine. And we were discussing what should be done to this man, with this man, and for this man. There were some who some said, hey, he did it. Throw him overboard. The Jonah idea. You know, let's just get rid of him. Dump him in the sea. Other folk came up with all kinds of uh, other novel ideas. And suddenly, a man from across the room simply said, you know, you stupid Pentecostals. Well, that's just like waving a red rag to, to a mouse. <laughs> stupid Pentecostals? This is what he said. You are so concerned about the sins of the flesh you have no interest whatsoever in the sins of the spirit. He said, now we in the Catholic Church, we do not pay much attention to the sins of the flesh, but we are very diligent about the sins of the spirit. Well, there was a man at the head of the table. I thought he was going to come unglued. Bob Mumford had slid underneath the table. <laughs> Charles Simpson had his head in his hands. And David Duplessis said these words. My dear sir, whether it's sins of the flesh or sins of the spirit, it is still sin. And sin is anathema to God. The Catholic theologian came back. He was now bristling because uh, his idea had been uh, attacked. And a person said, with tears rolling down his cheeks, I hope he will not live long enough to regret what you've just said, that the sins of the flesh are not relevant in the church. We all know the scandal that the Catholic Church went through 10 years after that event. 
simply because they were not concerned about the sins of the flesh. They were just concerned about the sins of the spirit. Jude deals with the sins of the spirit. He says, I want you to pray in the spirit. In praying in the spirit, it allows the Holy Spirit not only to communicate through you, not only to communicate for you, but the Holy Spirit will cleanse your spirit as it washes over your system. It gives you immediate access to the throne. Sometimes we all go through areas and times of drought when it just seems as though, is there anybody listening? But even at that time, when you begin to pray in the spirit, like a winged arrow, it goes directly to the throne. And what's more, you know it's gone to the throne. Your other prayers may just dribble off your lips or might hit the ceiling and come down. But when you pray in the Holy Spirit, what I call creative prayer, it goes directly to the throne. That didn't mean anything to you, so let me go on. <laughs> Protect your mind by building yourself up with the most holy faith. Protect or purify your spirit by praying in the Holy Ghost. Look at our priority. Protect your heart. Keep yourselves in God's love. Now we confuse love with romance. We confuse love with atmosphere. And so if there's a nice atmosphere, we're in a lovey-dovey kind of mood. Light the candles. Turn down the lights. Put on the music. What music should we put on? Give me a piece of music to put on. I would think there's some like rock, rock around the clock or something like that. <laughs> something jerky and uplifting and deep. Protect your heart. Because it is out of the heart, the abundance of the heart, that comes forth the words of the mouth. Do not allow your love to grow cold. Do not allow your passion to grow old. Do not allow yourself to become indifferent to the extravagant works of God's grace. Keep yourself in the love of God. You've heard the story over and over and over again. I was in Starbucks today. 
you know, the Christian res uh, restaurant. <laughs> God forgive me. <laughs> I'm waiting to get uh, my cup of, uh, of Joe. I'm waiting to, to pick up one for Mary too. And a lady walks up to me. Hello, Mr. Evans. I said, hello? I said, you don't know me, do you? I said, um, you're right, ma'am. I do not know you. She said, 31 years ago, this weekend, you performed my wedding. I said, I did? I said, that was before my time. I said, 31 years ago, this weekend you performed my wedding. I said, you know, it still sticks. I looked at her. I didn't know what to say. So she turned around and walked away. You know, when you get old, your tongue and mouth doesn't operate like it used to. I sat down at the table by Mary and somebody said, there's a lady over there. She just, obviously she doesn't know me, otherwise she wouldn't have called me Mr. Evans. 31 years ago, that family has kept itself in loving each other. Just as the church is supposed to keep itself in loving Jesus. Not a formalistic expression. So when you walk in a church, I love you, Lord. <laughs> Not habit. Your heart is indicting in a good matter. That you can honestly say, Oh, how I love Jesus, because he first loved me. His love that grows in my heart is a gift. And I have the ability and I have the right and I have the responsibility to cultivate it. But you see, your battle is different to my battle, but we'd all deal with our battles with these Instruments of warfare. Though our struggles are different, we are careful about choosing our weapons of warfare because the divine weapons, they work. Oh, but it goes on. Not only pre protect your mind, not only protect your spirit, not only protect your heart, but it goes on, sister, helps me to protect my will. Oh, I like this one. That's why I want to gloss over it so quickly. Will. Jude says, as you wait for the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life.
some things are worth waiting for. Can anybody say amen to that? But I hate waiting. I want it now. And if I don't get it now, I become fidgety. Paria, 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 paria. And I have the right to do that. You don't, but I do. You might say, give me a scripture verse for that. I'm getting old. Or I become old. I don't have much time left. You've got all the time in the world. Therefore, I want it now. Because I deserve it. Protect your will. Accept the grace of God. Not only in the way it's administered, but in the timing of the administration. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Are the things that were changed? Absolutely. But my heart simply says, not my will, because I want to echo the words of my master, but your will be done. And he said those words at the most dramatic point in his earthly life. We, when we gather around the table of the Lord, we celebrate the cup of blessing and the cup of prophecy. In the garden, he was facing the cup of death. I simply said, Lord, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. The other four cups, or the other five cups, which spoke of coming out of Egypt, were wonderful. They were positive. They were uplifting. They were inspiring. This cup was a horrendous cup. It caused him to tremble to such a degree that blood oozed from his pores like that of perspiration. He said, let it go. And yet he sealed it by simply saying, Father, not what I want, but what you want. And so we've looked at the progression of ministry. Now look at the purpose of ministry. And I need to hurry, because I want to get to the good part. And the good part is when I say amen. <laughs> what are you laughing at? Look at the purpose of ministry. He turns from looking at that which is within. I hope that's not catching. He turns from looking at that which is within to that which is without. 
having dealt with building yourself up, protecting yourself, encouraging yourself, defending yourself from being internal in our terms of his eye outward. He says two things. Having said, wait for the manifestation of the mercy of Christ for your own life, which is the expression of our will. He said, now, I want you to be merciful to those who doubt. Establish those who are wavering. Doubt often creeps in because it is dependent upon one of the other expressions of faith which is not legitimate, which I have not discussed that with you. I talked about the levels of faith. How when your life is built upon a phony faith, it will not stand the test of time. Paul could say, I know in whom I have believed. He could have equally have said, I know what I believe. But his faith was not only on a principle, his faith was in a person. And Jude is writing to his, the church and simply saying, be gentle with those who are struggling with their faith. Have you ever struggled with your faith? I have. I honestly have. Oh, I'm not talking when I was a boy, teenager. At the rigors of life, bombard my body. At times I get tired. How much longer? Hmm? Oftentimes, I've walked out from the doctor's office and looked at me and said, here we go again. Here we go again. God bless her. She said, Des, we'll do this together with Jesus. We'll do it together with Jesus. Encourage those for wavering. Just pat them back on the back and say, it's going to be okay. Jesus is not intimidated by your asking questions or raising issues. In fact, on a Tuesday morning, I'm about to go in the book of Habakkuk. And Habakkuk deals with a man who is different to all the other prophets. He's more like Moses than he is the, the other prophets. And all he does is, are you sure you know what you're doing? <laughs> He's questioning the relevance of divine providence in the administration 
of punishment to Israel. You are going to use that bunch of jokers to discipline your people? Are you sure? God is not intimidated with the questions of an honest heart. Protect your heart. Protect your mind. And ask the questions honestly. Lord Jesus, uh, the man could stand before the Lord Jesus and say, Lord, I believe. Help thou my unbelief. The hymn writer said it this way, prone to wonder. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. The temptation to waver. But then it goes on in verse 23. Encourage those who are wandering. Snatch others from the fire and save them. Evangelism must ever be the dominant outreach of the church. Never lose sight of the awesome fact there really is a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. Heaven and hell are not the dreams or the illusion of a deteriorating mind. They're as real as your life is. Ah, now I know there's a large swath of the church and somebody says, but we've got to forget that. Because God is lovey-dovey. God is good. God is God. In the totality of his being, he is holy. Radically unique. Unlike anything else, all he does and what he does is just and right. You've got that perfect balance in which mercy embraces justice. You know the three integers of salvation. Justice is what we deserve. We get what we deserve. Mercy is we don't get what we deserve. And grace is we get what we don't deserve. Those are the three elements that are totally interwoven in the package which we call salvation. So encourage those who are wavering. Rather than writing them off, Include them in. Last Easter time. In fact, six weeks before last Easter, our pastor handed out cards with names on them that we were to pray for those who were wanderers. 
You know, I never did fill out the card. But every morning and every night, I remember them in prayer. Bring them home. Bring them home. God, open their eyes. Stir their hearts. Bring them home. Every morning and every evening, I pray for our nation. Bring it back. Bring it back. Sure, it's wandering. Sure, it's wavering. But I love it. I love this nation. I believe it has a purpose. I believe it has a destiny. And so Jude deals with these dynamic factors of spiritual warfare. But then he has to conclude. And it's 742. Let me hurry through it, though I don't want to. Look at Jude's praise. Having dealt with the problems facing the church, having dealt with those who are assaulting the church, having dealt with his own inadequacy of being a procrastinator, Jude turned the attention of himself, of the robbers, and of the church, and says, to him. For in life there has to come a time when you turn your gaze off everything else and turn it on Jesus. In my other life, we used to sing a song, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. Look full. Can you imagine what anybody's going to think if they listen to this on uh, his other life? What, what's he talking about? <laughs> I'm talking about the seven stages of life that a person goes through, and each stage is different. And to him. Jude's manner is biblical. He believes in worshiping in spirit. He also believes in worshiping in truth, which is what Jesus said in John chapter 4. That's why he says, build yourself up in the faith. That's why he says, pray in the Holy Spirit. His mode is not only biblical, his mode is Jewish. And in your notes, I've given you a number of words which are used in the Old Testament to define and describe what Jewish worship is all about. And I don't have time to talk about that. So let me go on. We've looked at Jude. His disposition is a worshiper. Look at his declaration. And here Jude goes into orbit. An orbit that I pray the church will enter into 
on a regular basis, not only collectively, but individually. Even as each struggle is unique, even as each battle is distinctive, we all have the capacity and the ability to utilize the tools that Judah's given to us, but also to enter into this arena. Look what he says. First of all, he, we have his affirmation. Jude cannot help but be eloquent. He speaks of the excellence of his power, who is able to keep you from stumbling. Jude knew the seriousness of this situation. He knew how dangerous these thugs could be. But he chooses to focus his eyes upon the master. And he uses a delightful Greek word, dunamahi. It's similar to the word which you get dynamite from. It's translated in this context, who is able. Say with me, thank God he is able. Now that's a wonderful idea. It's very, very theoretical. It can be quite romantic. And so we say, yeah, God is bigger than all my problems. Hallelujah. But you doesn't say, or he doesn't stop saying, he is able. He said he is able to keep us. Now in verse 21, he used the term keep, to keep in love. And there the word is to watch over your love. Here he uses a totally different word. And it means to guard. He is able to guard He wants to keep you in his care. It's the protective aspect of God's astonishing grace. It's the protective element of God's mercy and love. He wants to keep you. Keep you what? He's able. To keep what? From making a fool of yourself. That's not the way the King James says it. The King James simply says it from stumbling. Now I want you to know, you girls don't do anything at all about this. But as you get older, you begin to become a little feeble need. Steps multiply in size. How did it get that big? Why don't they have small steps like they have when I was a boy? Why do they have to be so thin? It's easy to stumble. Morally, emotionally, 
physically, spiritually, get tripped up. Oh, we wouldn't do anything like that. We wouldn't trip anybody up. No, but I know someone who does. Honey delights to do it. The word used here, it describes a sure-footed horse. The Lord can keep you steady. Hallelujah. I don't feel steady. The Lord unto him who is able to keep you steady. Say it with me. Unto him who is able to keep you steady. Our security and our steadiness is not related to our circumstance. It's depending upon Christ. Thank God he's not only able. He's willing. But then he goes on. And he talks about the excellence of his purpose. And again, the idea is to him who is able. Except now, it's not able to keep you from falling. It's now able to present. And the term that he uses is to introduce. Has been introduced to an important person. Let me introduce you. And to him who is able to introduce. He introduces us to the Father. He introduces us to the faith. He introduces us to his glory. To present you. And then, of course, of this word that we don't, that none of us believes. To present you faultless. It's a liturgical term. It describes a sacrifice which is acceptable. It's been examined by the priest. And the priest says, it's worthy to be offered as a sacrifice. Jude says, unto him who is able, he'll keep you from falling. He'll present you faultless. <laughs> How many faultless people do we have in the house? I'm looking at you. For our faultlessness is not because of what we've done, it's because of what he's done. Our sins and our righteousness was as filthy rags. And like the, the father and the prodigal son said, hey, give him a new suit. Put a new robe on him. I don't like the thing he's wearing. I think he was wearing the same old robe that he wore when he left house. But instead of it being a delightful, beautiful garment, 
It had all the rigors of sin and dirt and filth of the pig pen. The father said, I don't like the way he looks. I don't want to be reminded of what he's done. Put a new robe on him. Friend, unto him who is able to introduce you, and you'll be spotless. Fit to be in his presence. Fit to be for. In fact, he used the same word that Peter used to describe the Lord Jesus. But through the precious blood of Jesus Christ, who is a lamb without spot, he was faultless. In other words, Jude and John are making a simple statement. We shall be like Jesus. I don't look much now, but you wait a little bit. I'm going to be okay because I'm going to look like him. Unto him who is able and I got to hurry to a close. To present you faultless. Ah. But anybody can look good if you put them in a certain environment. You put just a nominal Christian In the pit of sin, it's going to look good. If you want to judge yourself by others, you can always find somebody worse than yourself. Huh? In fact, isn't that what many Christians simply say? I may be bad, but I'm certainly not as bad as that person. Lord, if you want to deal with somebody, deal with that person, because I'm a lot better than... That's, what, he's, that's what, what you say. And to him who is able to present you spotless. Not in the context of other feeble individuals, but in the context of the excellence of his glory. In his presence, in which the angels bow and cry, Holy, holy, holy. In that prayer in which Isaiah could say, Woe is me, I'm undone. I'm coming apart, I'm disintegrating. Because of Jesus, we'll be presented in that place. And unlike Isaiah, we'll feel at home. You'll be able to say, I belong here. Not because of what I've done. I belong here because of Jesus. I don't care what anybody else thinks about me. I'm concerned about what he thinks about me. And because of the blood of Jesus, I'm covered. Let me close. He goes even one step further. He said with great joy. In other words, it will be an exciting moment outside of Jesus to be in our presence is exasperating. 
and apprehensive, and dynamically apprehensive. But we've got the covering of Jesus. I belong here. I fit in this. I'm a part of this outfit. Let me close. But then look, he closed by simply saying, now unto him, not only the one who is able, but the one who is spectacular. Be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forevermore. Jude engages in a Hebraic program of using couplets, joining things together. He talks of doxa, or light, or glory, or the Shekinah, with that of Kritos, which is dominion. He who is all splendor, he who is totally spectacular, are the one with the, the right to rule, to reign. But then he goes on to use the term nun, in which he's speaking of the present state of life. I'm through. Let me tell a story that came from, that came from William Barclay. Barclay tells the story in fact, Barclay wrote so many books because he was totally deaf. And when folk asked him, has there been a hindrance to you? He said, no. If, I'd, if I had been deaf, I would have been distracted by other things. He tells a story. It comes from uh, the Persian conflict. It said, the wife of a general in the army of Cyrus was sentenced to death for treachery. Her husband pleaded her cause. And so he said to Cyrus, kill me instead. Cyrus looked and said, such love ought not to be broken. So he released her to the care of her husband. Later, the husband asked his wife, did you see the look in the eyes of our king? To which she replied, no. I was too busy looking at the man who is willing to lay down his life for me to notice anything else. This is what Jude is saying of Jesus. Coda makes this incredible statement I'm through. Having comprehended the glorious brightness, the unutterable regal being of the one who sits on the throne the limitless, 
extent of his rule and the unlimited strength of his might. Jude tries to bring it into human terms. He tries to encompass eternity with the poor limits of human vocabulary. And in so doing, supplies us with one of the most remarkable utterances ever penned upon such a subject. Then closes his inspired epistle with the words, Pro Pantos tu Ahinus. He is before all time. He is noon. He is the now in time. He is the ice pantas tus ahinos. And to all the ages, the one who encompasses all things. Professor A.T. Robinson said it this way. This is a, as complete a statement of eternity as can be made in human language unto him who is able unto him who is willing unto him be glory in the church forever amen i hope you learn to love jesus more good night